Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We're going to start with uh, uh, our primary care pod at gmail.com inbox. Again, you can always email us with questions, concerns, articles you want us to review, or any feedback. Uh, today, we're going to start with an anonymous uh, email. Uh, hey, Dr. List, uh, another joke for you. Again, I love jokes. You, you know me, I love jokes. Where do you hide money from a surgeon? Answer tape it to his kids. Oh, that one hurts. Okay. All right. Uh, let's start the podcast. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. 15 minutes long because now that college football season is over, I'm too depressed to do more work. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Uh, we are going to talk about a very interesting topic today. Uh, I think that uh, it, it at least deserves a, a conversation and, and I wanted to get my opinion on these things. Uh, we're going to be talking about a recent article if you wanted to follow along. Uh, I don't know how you would follow along because it's EPUB in front of print, uh, but our university, the Anawa um, medical school uh, has access to it uh, online before print. It's called uh, a review of antibiotic tolerant persisters and their relevance to post Lyme disease, post treatment Lyme disease symptoms. Uh, this is uh, by uh, PJ Baker. Uh, it's in the American Journal of Medicine in 2020, January 9th. Um, so hot off the presses. Again, an EPUB, EPUB in front of print. Um, so why are we talking about chronic Lyme disease? Um, because I think there's, um, I think there's a lot of people who believe in a lot of things that are not evidence-based that are pretty contrary to evidence-based uh, medicine. I uh, wanted to kind of clear the air and give you some uh, resources at your disposal, some knowledge at your disposal to make some good discussions with patients. Um, and so I think that um, I think some people uh, who listen to this uh, disagree with me on that, and that's okay. I think we're going to have a conversation together, and I think you're going to um, – I think we'll all be on the same page after we get to the end of this, and I just hope that you aren't somebody who is uh, inappropriately treating patients because of your feelings on this topic. Um, so so allow me to just get this out in the open. Uh, I do not believe in chronic Lyme disease. Well, uh, that was good. That was all the podcast for today. I uh, hope you enjoyed. No, 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 uh, but seriously um, – there's clearly acute Lyme disease. There's clearly untreated, disseminated early and late stage Lyme disease. And we're going to talk about that. There's clearly documented cases of post-treatment Lyme disease um, where people have residual symptoms that slowly fade away after appropriate antibiotic therapy. But then there's this subgroup of patients and disease uh, known as chronic Lyme. And uh, it is Taking the internet by storm, I guess very slowly, I guess storm's not the right word, uh, a slow uh, glacier moving, not a storm, but like a slow drift of a glacier uh, threatening to crush everything under its path. Um, and I think that it's really misguided because a lot of patients who are being diagnosed with chronic Lyme uh, clearly do not have chronic Lyme, uh, probably never had any Lyme infection, and yet are being told, yeah, this is all your symptoms, all your negative symptoms, all your headaches and fatigue and arthralgias and myalgias and all of these symptoms that are vague and nonspecific are definitely chronic Lyme disease and you need to be on chronic antibiotic therapy, IV and oral antibiotics for the rest of your life to treat this and they're being harmed by it. Uh, why do I mention this? Number one is because I read this article, but number two, because uh, I just recently found out that uh, several uh, 
celebrities or singers are now coming out saying they have chronic Lyme, including uh, Justin Bieber. So the topic of uh, today's title was uh, of the podcast was also going to be, I do not believe in chronic Lyme disease, or I am not a believer in chronic Lyme disease. Both are terrible. So that's why I went with uh, making lemonades out of chronic Lyme disease. Um, so when we are talking about chronic Lyme, so uh, right I think it's important to note that, right, early disease, we're talking about presentation of localized Lyme disease with a tick bite, with Borrelia burgdorferi and uh, bacteria. You know, we talk about this bullseye rash and regional lymphadenopathy, sometimes fever. Um, but when we talk about these symptoms, erythema migrans is present in about 80% of cases, 20% of cases don't have that classic bullseye rash. Uh, and then lymphadenopathy fever uh, in fewer and fewer cases. Um, Certainly with acute infections, fatigue, malaise, uh, being tired, having headaches, neck stiffness a little bit, myalgias, arthralgias, is very, very common, uh, and basically like an influenza-like illness. Now, it's important to know that Lyme disease is very rare. Um, it does happen. It's absolutely a real disease. Um, it really not only necessitates a tick bite and also a, a prolonged tick bite and exposure, um, but then also being in the right area of the country to really get exposed to Lyme. Uh, there's many, many, many tick bites that do not contain Lyme. Just because you get rebicked by a tick does not mean you are going to get Lyme. I think patients need to know that. Um, we know very well that uh, antibiotics work very well for this disease. Uh, Borrelia burgdorferi have very, very, very uh, almost non-existent um, uh, insulin resistance, or sorry, <laughs> antibiotic resistance patterns, um, and very simple antibiotics like amoxicillin, doxycycline, um, and uh, cefuroxime work very well at treating this. Uh, we know that uh, in Europe, uh, some of the Borrelia that cause Lyme disease are susceptible to azithromycin. In America, that's not usually the case. Uh, there's lots of studies on this. Um, there's a trial of 72 adults, uh, you know, showing erith with erythema migraine with amoxicillin versus doxycycline for 21 days, both equally effective, and uh, no one uh, was resistant to any antibiotics and had full, complete cure. Um, 232 patients with erythema migraines uh, were randomized between cefuroxime and doxycycline for 21 days. Both were equally effective um, with 90 to 95% success rates in both cases, with only one complication one month post-Lyme, which was uh, pretty bad Lyme arthritis. Um, now, when we talk about another trial, 88 patients, this was Europe, azithromycin versus doxycycline, again, 90% cure rates. So I rattled off all those just because um, there's no evidence to say that we're having, uh, you know, increasing antibiotic resistance to Borrelia, uh, that, that people are going to need to switch antibiotics, choose an antibiotic, go for 21 days, seems to cure. Now, when we talk about this kind of early disseminated disease, right? If we don't get early treatment, doxycycline is just as effective as IV antibiotics. Specifically, a study of 140 patients with disseminated Lyme disease, those that um, have heart block, neurological abnormalities, such as facial nerve palsy, uh, radiculitis, uh, sorry, radiculopathy, or uh, other neurological symptoms, and also a large joint arthritis. These are people who are really sick from untreated Lyme disease. Uh, if you treat them with doxycycline or ceftriaxone, IV, uh, no difference no difference uh, in outcomes. Clinical cure rates were upper 80%. Um, they had more of that kind of post-treatment Lyme disease symptoms that didn't fully resolve uh, right away and then slowly stepped down. One thing to look out for that I did not know about until I was reading about this is that a lot of people get Jarish Hersheimer's reactions in the first 24 hours, which is a, you know, uh, back to your med school and training days, which is a, uh, a temporary transient worsening due to a release of antigens being released by dying bacteria. Um, so uh, it is pretty common that people get Jarish Hersheimer's reactions uh, when they get doxycycline for uh, 
Lyme disease, acute Lyme disease, which I did not know that. So that's, uh, I learned that with this studying. Okay. So, um, now there's a, there's a syndrome, which is not controversial whatsoever called post-treatment Lyme disease. And that is about five, 10% of people in all these studies, they hang on to these subjective symptoms, right? Uh, clinical cure is done. Uh, they do not have an active infection, but they get kind of persistent headaches, uh, musculoskeletal pain, arthralgias, myalgias, fatigue, and these lasts months after treatment but they resolve in a near linear fashion it's not associated with any um active infection it just is this slow improvement of symptoms after the acute clearance of the bacteria this is well documented well studied this post-treatment lyme disease um, this is not treatment failure um, because there have been five separate clinical trials looking at persistent, prolonged antibiotic use for these, you know, treatment failures or these post-Lyme, post-treatment Lyme disease symptoms. And there's absolutely never been a single study that has shown improvement of symptoms. Now, with this post-treatment Lyme disease, all of these symptoms slowly and gradually get better, which can take years, but slowly and gradually gets better. Now, here is my beef and why I brought up this topic. There is this idea now in medicine that of this chronic Lyme. And chronic Lyme, in fact, is being used for unexplained symptoms in many patients who have never even had clinical proof of an active Lyme disease in their lifetime, but are being told by the internet and by practitioners that you have chronic Lyme disease because of your symptoms. Even if there's no proof that you ever had the initial infection, they would say, quote, you probably had it. One of uh, the review articles on chronic Lyme disease was in, from the VA system. They looked at chronic Lyme disease patients. Uh, this was back in 1998, so again, not a new study. Um, and only 21% of patients diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease even met criteria for Lyme disease. 19% uh, in the study had prior Lyme disease, but not active at the time of the review. And 60% had no evidence of current or prior Lyme disease infections, and yet were diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease. 50% um, of patients who receive long-term antibiotics uh, have significant side effects due to prolonged antibiotic exposure, including but not limited to uh, side effects of the maximum medications themselves, including GI side effects, among other things, rashes, uh, allergic reactions, and resistant organism development. So these are not benign treatments. These are not benign uh, courses. This is not a, uh, a treatment regimen that should be done without very good evidence. And yet there is no evidence. Uh, in fact, this is likely something else. You know, Lyme disease uh, is likely, even if you had active Lyme disease, it's effectively treated, the bacteria is cured, and there is no active infection. There can be lingering symptoms in 5 to 10% of people that get better with time with absolutely no treatment interventions. However, many of these people who are told that they have chronic Lyme disease or who have real symptoms are likely due to other diagnoses. Fibromyalgia, depression, patellofemoral, knee pain, uh, all can explain some of these cases of mild arthritis, nonspecific, uh, myalgias, uh, joint pains, arthralgias, fatigue, headache, and muscle pain. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, there, it's, it's really difficult you know, in cases where there have been case studies where, 
you know, uh, there's a there's a great case review of three cases um, where three people were told they had chronic Lyme disease and their symptoms were actually caused from a malignancy. Uh, so people are being told that they have chronic Lyme disease and need to be on antibiotics, and yet they likely have other things. Now, I, I this is not just me. Um, in, Infectious Disease Society of America, NIH, the CDC, American College of Physicians, and many other medical organizations from not only the U.S. but also around the globe have clearly stated that the symptoms that patients are 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 having, which are being called chronic Lyme disease, are most assuredly not due to chronic Lyme disease or an active infection. Treatment with antibiotics for years, inappropriate. Uh, tumor drugs, people are using cancer-related medicines and other very, very dangerous medications to treat symptoms of chronic Lyme disease, which could be very, very, very uh, likely other diseases. Um, chronic Lyme is being pushed by naturopathic providers, alternative medicine providers, without any evidence that exists. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. There are other primary care practitioners who believe this is real. Maybe some of you listening today think that chronic Lyme disease is real. Again, I believe that acute Lyme disease is a very real thing. I believe post-treatment Lyme disease is a very real thing. But those symptoms always get better without intervention in a very linear stepwise progression over the course of months to years. There is no evidence that treatment with anything benefits. But we live in a society where life is hard. Life is hard, okay? Having chronic symptoms and chronic diseases and chronic illnesses is hard. It weighs on the human body to wake up every day in pain. It weighs on the human soul to wake up every day with unexplainable symptoms. And people flock to answers, right? Snake oil salesmen have been along far longer than Western evidence-based medicine has been around, okay? This is not a new phenomenon where people claim to have truth without any evidence or proof or any inkling of what they are doing is actually correct other than their own gut and their own feelings based on their own, quote, experiences and training and uh, expert opinions. And when we, and we're not, you know, snake oil salesmen are, snake oil salesmen are not alone in this. There are many uh, specialists who say, this is my way, this is the way I do it because it's worked for me in the past anecdotally without any evidence-based. And again, expert opinion is always the weakest opinion. So if you ever see expert opinion, you should always be very cautious about that. But what people are doing, right, um, based on in vitro animal models, which show that, you know, there are some persistent bacteria that stick around, not active infections, but there's a very few percent of persistent, not, not drug resistant, but persistent Borrelia in in vitro animal model studies, then translate over to the uh, human studies in vivo, which again, if anybody's ever heard this, me talk on this podcast before, in vitro animal model data is pretty much worthless for treating any human medicine problem. Pretty much worthless. It means nothing. And yet that's what people are doing. Um, they're taking these, these evidence of what they say is evidence and it doesn't have any benefit whatsoever. There's randomized control trials proving there's no benefit. And yet that hasn't stopped people, people from doing this. Uh, you know, people are being told on the internet to go see a Lyme literate physician who will care for them and treat them appropriately when, you know, this is, it, it's a sham. It's, it's absolutely a sham. I think that these people have real symptoms. I think that people have real diseases and are being completely mislabeled as chronic Lyme disease. Um, so I, I don't like, I don't like to talk about anecdotal stories, but I think two stories I've had in the past, you know, year and a half have 
apply to this this topic. Um, I had, I've had two patients in the past year and a half. So first patient um, assumed that she had this tick bite. Uh, she didn't actually see a tick. She didn't remove a tick. She didn't have a bullseye rash, but she had kind of a insect bite. You could have, could have been a spider bite, could have been a mosquito bite, could have been a pimple, could have been a lot of different stuff. Um, patient's symptoms were more classic for anxiety um, that she had when she presented my clinic day one after her tick bite, and she demanded antibiotic treatment. Now, we had a long conversation that her backyard where we live in the animal medical clinic uh, group uh, where our, where our um, population lives is probably not in a high risk for Lyme disease. Um, we ultimately decided, though, because it was quite red that doxycycline you know, could be appropriate for many reasons, not only cellulitis around the insect bite, um, but potentially to cure this. So I did discuss the harms, and she really thought treatment was necessary. I talked about treatment probably wasn't necessary, but I'd be willing to prescribe it. Again, shared patient decision-making. I had to talk about lab testing that we could do, sedrate, CRP, Lyme antibodies, CBC, et cetera. And you know, we ultimately decided that it, the lesser of two evils was just to do three weeks and be done. So after the end of the three weeks of antibiotics, um, not surprisingly, um, all of her vague symptoms that started on day one of her tick bite um, did not improve. And so she continued to have anxiety about the situation. I demanded further antibiotics and long-term antibiotics. I discussed um, what was likely happening, what was likely going on. Um, we did this by, via a phone call. And uh, she demanded a second opinion, which was fine. Uh, I don't mind giving second opinions. I think it's I think it's good to have uh, two first opinions, actually. Um but I, I'm okay with that. So we sent her off to infectious disease, and they said chronic Lyme disease is not a thing. You were appropriately treated. If you have any residual symptoms, it should go away. And also, you probably shouldn't have them because you probably didn't have Lyme disease um, in the first place. And uh, then they redrew uh, antibodies, and they were negative. So then she demanded to see a second specialist across town at our competitor across town. And you know, I said, your insurance isn't going to pay for it. She said she'd pay out of pocket. Sent her over. The specialist said, uh, you absolutely do not have Lyme disease. Chronic Lyme disease is not a real thing. And then she sent me a very sternly letter, uh, a stern uh, uh, letter saying, uh, Dr. Liz, please never send me a referral for chronic Lyme disease again. Um, and so the patient came back again after having two infectious disease specialists tell her the same thing and have me tell her the same thing and demanded a referral to the Mayo Clinic. Um, in which case I declined. Um, and I don't know what happened to her after that. Um, I'm assuming she got answers that she wanted to hear from another provider uh, in town and uh, uh, one who was Lyme literate as the internet begs patients to go for advocacy. And uh, that's that case where a patient driven by anxiety uh, probably made some bad medical choices and got bad medical care eventually. Um, second case was a patient who came to my clinic for a second opinion about chronic Lyme disease treatment. Uh, she was not getting better on the antibiotics given to her by a local nurse practitioner who, um, let's just say, practices excellence at his center for excellence. Um, she was not getting better and having side effects from her antibiotics, uh, so she asked for my opinion. I gave her my opinion on chronic Lyme disease and uh, stated that facts that I knew and the studies that I knew. She asked me what else her symptoms could be, and I, they were vague and multiple and multiple organ systems, so I discussed a couple of things, including fibromyalgia. She got a third opinion from somebody else, but eventually came back to me and as we managed her in fibromyalgia and she's doing much better and she was happy with the conversation and, and overall doing better. Those are anecdotal stories. Um, those are cases where people, uh, you know, bought into the initial internet hype of this chronic Lyme disease and were probably harmed from their uh, poor treatment of choice uh, that they were given. And uh, I think it's always important to remember that these patients have real symptoms, and but their symptoms are oftentimes other things. 
patients getting a bias before they see you from what they read on the internet and it affects their opinion of you when you talk to them about things and disagree with what the internet said, uh, it creates this extreme echo chamber where the internet's telling them things about this chronic Lyme disease and the importance of finding Lyme literate physicians and leads them down this pathway before they even get a medical legitimate opinion, um, before they get testing, before they get evaluated, before they get um, even a discussion. I believe this overhyped fear of this disease that probably does not exist for symptoms that do exist is causing patients a lot more harm than good. And I think that we're missing diagnoses that are likely the explanation of these treatments, whether that be improper treatment of fibromyalgia or uncontrolled uh, mental health disease um, or other other medical problems. Um, and I think that with all things with medicine, I think nihilistic medicine is usually a pretty good way to practice medicine. And in, in this chronic Lyme disease, and I, I think this is, I think we are way uh, over coddling this this whole community about the importance of talking about advocacy. So anyways, um, I fully now expect to receive emails from chronic Lyme disease patients threatening me and leaving me one-star reviews on my company's website, um, threatening my license to take it away and to report me to the State Board of Health. But I think it's important to stand up for evidence-based medicine. Um, The fact that there has been no study ever proving that long-term antibiotics or long-term treatment of this, quote, chronic Lyme disease, which is, again, I think mislabeled or misdiagnosis of real symptoms and real medical problems. Um, I think we need to stand up for what we believe until the evidence proves us wrong. And when the evidence proves us wrong, then we stand up and say, yep, we were wrong. Let's try and make it right. Um, but again, until we have that telling us that we're wrong, I think we we continue with the practice of good evidence-based medicine. And chronic Lyme disease is absolutely the opposite of chronic, is the opposite of evidence-based medicine. So um, again, uh, treat symptoms, uh, treat uh, the patient in front of you, uh, stand up for what you believe in. And uh, again, I am—I guess I'm not a Lyme literate physician, but I think that, you know, when people have 10% of these people have fatigue or myalgias or dizziness or headaches, and you look at the general population are women ages 18 through 55, 16% of the U.S. population is fatigued at any one point for no specific reason. Probably uh, stress, anxiety, mental health, chronic diseases, eating poorly, sleeping poorly, uh, the overall stress of daily life um, causes real symptoms without any pathology. And I think we are trying to put a pathological name to nonspecific symptoms because it's hard to live without a diagnosis. I want to leave you with a quote that really sticks with me from Carl Sagan. The quote is, one of the saddest lessons of history is this. If we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. I think that speaks to a lot of things with alternative and complementary medicine. And I think that until we speak power to truth and evidence, uh, we are going to continue down a negative path. Um, that's all I have for today. Again, I expect a lot of uh, interesting feedback on this one, um, but uh, feel free to email us at primarycarepod at gmail.com. I might just ignore your email. Uh, I might read it. Um, I might have fun with it. We'll see. Uh, uh, anyways, as always, you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thanks and have a good night.